It's very difficult to preach on the subject of fear and faith without injecting oneself in the process because I don't think there's a single person who does not know what fear is, any form of fear, some form of fear. In fact, I have learned of late that there is a new type of fear that just been added to the official list of phobias, and it is the fear of the day, Friday the 13th. It is called triskaidekaphobia, and it means the fear of number 13. And it is, in a sense, the latest in this list of phobias that are officially recognized as a form of anxiety. Uh, hydrophobia, known as the fear of water. And claustrophobia, known as the fear of being closed in. And acrophobia is the fear of heights. And then there is another phobia. It's called pobophobia, which is the fear of fear. <laughs> but I want to tell you at the outset that there is no such thing as a fearless person. Now, you can take that and think about it a long time, and you might want to contradict it, but that's your privilege. There is no such a thing as fearless person. But I'll tell you what there is. There is a distinction between those who take counsel of their fears and those who refuse to do so. There is a difference between those who let their fears possess them and those who, by faith, let their faith overwhelm their fears. There are distinctions and a difference between those who allow fears to hold them like chains and those who by faith break the chains of fear. There is a distinction between those who get too chummy with fears, who nurse their fears all the time, and those who by faith throw away their fears. Someone said fear is the only thing that multiplies faster than rabbits. And by the same token, I want to say that fear always falls before the fortress of faith. In fact, courage is not the absence of fear. Did you hear me? Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the conquest of fear. Courage is the only one who knows that you are afraid. And the difference between Saul's fears and David's courage is the two different places where they have placed their trust. The two different places where they put their faith. David put his faith and his trust in the living God, and Saul put his faith in his armors. And the results speak for themselves. I want to tell you at the outset that the person who lives in fear is a person who is being behind bars more powerful than steel, more inescapable than Alcatraz, and more permanent than death row. Fear destroys your abilities. Fear destroys your dreams. Fear destroys your potential for Jesus Christ. Fear destroys your health, and I want to tell you, fear destroys your relationships. It was both the mission and the message of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver us from the slavery of fear. The two words that he used the most, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not life. Why? Because I am the way, the truth, and the life, says the Lord. Fear not death. Why? For I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Fear not the unknown. Why? Why? 
Because I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Fear not evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Fear not life's problem. Why? Because God is our refuge. He is our strength, the very present help in trouble. Fear not what others can do to us. Why? In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. What can man do to me? Recently I heard about the man who was always afraid of flying. And uh, one day he ventured in a flight. Sure enough, (laughs) they hit an air pocket. And the fear just began to terrify him again. And people would talk to him. The stewardess came and talked to him. They said, we're now fine. Everything is fine. We're just out of that pocket. No problem. You don't need to fear. And the man just would not be comforted. Finally, the captain came all the way from the cockpit back to the plane. And he said to the man, he said, are you a religious man? He said, well, as a matter of fact, yes, I'm a Christian. He said, well, then you must know that you're not going to die until your number is up. And the man thought for a minute, and he said, that's not what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid if your number is up. (laughs) In the last message, we left David roughly around the age of 16, being anointed by Samuel to be the future king of Israel. And then, at a later point, he got invited into the palace of the king to be the artist in residence. That would be his title, I guess, today, equivalent of today. And what happened, every time the chief of staff sees that the chief executive going crazy on him, he will bring David in, and David will play the harp, and then Saul will get back to normal again. When he was not performing for the king, he was taking care of his daddy's flock. And for all these four years plus, David kept on going from the family farm to the king's palace. And now he is at the age of 21, and he sees his community being confronted with a severe crisis. The Philistines worshipped the god Dagon, the god of the crops. And they also worshipped the female goddess Ashtar, who was the moon goddess. The Philistines were a constant menace to the people of God. Why? Because when the people of God came out of Egypt... God said to them, when you get into that land, the promised land, I want you to wipe out your enemies. They didn't do it. They chickened out. And for generations, the Philistines became a menace to God's people. Listen to me, please. When you disobey at the command of God and the order of God, God will forgive you when you repent, but you will bring a curse upon yourself and the next generation. And that's what happened to these folks. When God told them to do something, they tried to be nice about it, and they wouldn't do it out of fear, out of whatever it may be. And finally, for the rest of their life, the Philistines were a menace to them. Disobedience has a price. The Philistines had a national hero by the name of Goliath. I want to give you a little background about Goliath that you will not find in the Scripture. Well, I hope you're not going to equate what I'm going to tell you with the Scripture. But it's just a, a good way to remember this man. He was nine foot tall. That's what the Bible said. When he attended Gath High School, he wiped out all the sports trophies. I mean, he got them all off the table. 
And after high school, he won a full athletic scholarship to Ashdod University. And there, his school went to the NCAA finals four years in a row while he was there. And when he played basketball, just think about it, (laughs) there were a few inches between his top of his head and the rim of the basket. Furthermore, during the off-season, when all the athletes were resting, (laughs) he was playing football. You say, how do I know that? It's in the Bible. (laughs) Verse 5. American football in the Bible. Well, verse 5 says he wore a bronze helmet. (laughs) That's how you get it. Well, after college, Goliath signed up for $10 million to play for the Philistine Celtics. And he did this until he was drafted in the army and went to the war. Soon after he was drafted, he became a military hero Overnight, He was so popular in his country. His hometown of Gath was about 12 miles from where the battlefield was. Guess what he did just for warm-up? Not for exercise, just for warm-up. He jogged home every day for lunch and came back. <laughs> just to warm-up. How do I know that? He came up only twice a day. <laughs> so he ran home for lunch. <laughs> now I'm teaching you all the ways by which you not study the Bible. <laughs> In all seriousness, I want you to look at verses 5 and 6. There there's a description of the uniform of this man. His coat, the coat of armor alone, weighed 120 pounds. 120 pounds. On his legs, he wore greaves of bronze. And in verse 7, the iron point of the spear shaft weighed 17 pounds. Verse 8 I want you to notice, please, it's a key verse. Here's what Goliath said. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Now you can think about this for a long, long time. Remember from the last message? They refused the kingship of God upon them. They refused that. They wanted a real king and they got one. What happened? They replaced God with Saul. Their uniqueness as the people of God is no longer true. Their representation of Jehovah has now become a representation of a man. They were no longer the army of the living God. They were the army of Saul. Now, precious friends, I want to tell you, please hear me right. Because every time you find yourself in a spiritual defeat, it is because you have replaced the kingship of God with something else or someone else. Every time you find yourself in a spiritual doldrum, it is because you have replaced the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life with somebody else or something else. Every time you find yourself in a spiritual disarray, it is because you have turned your priorities upside down. Jesus at the bottom, your ambitions are at the top. And that's what they did. But it gets worse for Saul and his army. Goliath got more belligerent as the time went on. Look at verse 10. Not only verse 10, but four more times in this chapter, Goliath uses the word defy. I defy you. I defy you. I defy the armies of Israel. And you know what? Hear me right. 
Every time you give your enemy an opportunity to enter into one area of your life, you have given him a carte blanche to defy you and defy your Lord. Whatever area in your life, the Spirit of God is not in control. He's not dominating. He's not ruling supreme. You are giving Satan an opportunity to defy you and defy the name of the Lord. Verse 11. When Saul and Israel heard those words, they were dismayed. They were terrified. They didn't say, let's pray. Let's repent. Something wrong. No, for 40 days, they just sat there in their fear. They sat in their terror. Saul was the only one in Israel who had an armor. Did you know that? He's the only one who had an armor. He was six foot ten, so he was not a little boy. He was the king. He was representing the living God among the people. But listen to me, please. All of that amounts to nothing when the Spirit of God is not anointing you. All that amounts to nothing if the Spirit of God is not with you. All of this would mean nothing when you operate your life based on the external circumstances. All of that would mean nothing if the Spirit of God is not prompting you and leading you as you walk in Him. All of that means nothing if you are constantly comparing yourself with somebody else. That is the first way you're going to get yourself into trouble. What happened? Saul sat down. He calculated his assets. And he calculated his liabilities. And he came up short. That's what happened. He sat there and he said, my, my. Goliath is nine foot tall. I am 6'10". Look at his armor. He's got more armor than I have. And every time he compares himself with Goliath, he sits back in fear. He sits back in terror. He sits back in defeat. With all my heart, I believe rightly, whether I do a good job of it or not, that I believe the Lord must increase and I must decrease. But I'm going to testify just for a couple of minutes to the glory of God and give all the glory to the Lord. You know, most people start in life kind of on a starting line. More or less, some a little behind, some a little front, but, you know, just somewhere in the same area. When I started, I was two miles behind the line. In 1969, I found myself in a foreign land with $700 in debt. I don't know, that's equivalent probably of $15,000 today. And you know what else I had? Broken English. (laughs) Some of you think still broken now, anyhow. (laughs) So what's the difference? (laughs) And because I left the country of my birth without the blessing of the government, I wasn't able to obtain my academic transcripts. And consequently, I had to prove everything. But I want to tell you and testify to the majesty and the glory of the Lord. Had I sat down back then at any point in my life and calculated my assets and my liabilities, I want to tell you, I wouldn't be here today. And most likely there'd be no church of the apostles or leading the way and all the great things that God had done. If you walk in fear, not in faith. If you walk by sight and not by faith. If you live by the human calculator. If you live by the secular standards. I want to tell you right now, you are not honoring the God who knows you by name and loves you. You know why I think most Christians don't tithe? I'll tell you why. It's fear. 
They figure out that they're going to lose that money. That's human calculation. They don't understand that God operates with a different set of rules. That God can bless you in ways you'll never understand until you get to glory. That God will bless you in ways you'll never comprehend in this life. That you're not losing, you are being blessed. Instead of fear, put the faith on and do something that is great to God. And test God, as he said, test me. I want to ask you this question, please. Whatever you do by the end of this day, answer that question to yourself. Will you do that? Don't let the sun go down without you answering it to yourself. How your life would be lived differently if we have no Holy Spirit? How will your life be lived differently if there were no Holy Spirit? You know, for most Christians, it probably won't make any difference. Because we don't live in the supernatural, we don't walk in the supernatural, we don't believe great things of God, we don't function in the supernatural. And we think just like everybody else. We live like everybody else. No wonder the first giant that pops up in our lives, he sends us scurrying away in fear and trembling. Anxiety haunts us. I remember one time, a man who now went to be with the Lord. He was so haunted by fear, he sat with me. This is several years ago now. And when we passed the first million dollars that he has, I stopped. I said, there's no use going on. If this man had trillion dollars, he would still be haunted by fear. Money has nothing to do with it. And that's the first time I began to learn that lesson from that dear precious brother who's now went to be with the Lord. And that was Saul's problem. He quenched the Holy Spirit of God. And all that you've got left when you quench the Spirit of God is that you kill any light of faith in you and you open yourself to be possessed of the spirit of fear. Paul said, is not from God. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Ultimately, when the spirit of God is quenched again and again and again, there is no neutral territory that you can go to. The spirit of fear will possess you. Young David comes in and he sees this gorilla defying God and God's people. And he said, in effect, he said, who is this twit who mocks Israel? (laughs) Now, that's a very rough translation with you of the original Hebrew. But I want you to notice one thing. By the time David appears on the scene, this shenanigan has been going on for 40 days. 40 days. All of this, of course, is to heighten the intensity of this international crisis. <laughs> and when this big gorilla comes out, the Bible said he made two daily appearances. Live from Gath. <laughs> and you know what he does? He walks out and he says, I want you to know that this is going to be the mother of all battles. (laughs) And then he goes back again. Why didn't David come the first day, second day, third day, seventh day, eighth day, tenth day? Why doesn't God answer your prayers the moment you ask him? (laughs) You want to know, wouldn't you? God wants you to exhaust your resources. God wants you to come to the end of your rope. 
God wants to do it in such a way that you have no doubt and nobody has doubt to say, God did it. And David, in effect, when he arrives, it was right at the 82nd appearance. The 82nd appearance of this frightening man. First of all, he runs to his brothers. Now, being the youngest of a large family, I know I must have aggravated my older brothers many times. You know, imagine you know, the runt in the family. There's a little brat coming in. I said, hey, guys, <laughs> what are you embarrassing us? Get out of here. Get out of here. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And the three of them just shoved him off. They're embarrassed by the little brat. You know what they said? They accused him of being full of pride and haughty. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that the weak always calls you weak and the proud calls you proud and the controlling person calls you controlling and the distressful person always distrusts everybody? Always works. Way, way back. It's the same. We judge people by our motives. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of yesteryears in London, England, made that statement. He said, we always measure other people's corn by the measures we keep at home. What does he mean by that? Meaning that back then they measured all corn and wheat with a measuring. And many dishonest people put a false bottom to that measure. And he's saying that if you have a false bottom in your measuring container, you're being dishonest. You're going to see everybody as dishonest. And that's what the older boys did. They projected their weaknesses in their little brother. Yes, David does ask three times in effect in this chapter. He asks three times. He says, what is the reward for the one who's going to kill Goliath? And three times they tell him what it is. Marriage of the king's daughter, wealth, and freedom of the family. Some commentators have said that because David asked three times, therefore, that was David's primary motive, is the reward. I'm not going to argue, but it may be an incentive. I don't know. But certainly the text reveals to us a far greater concern on David's part than just a reward. Far greater concern. You read the text and you feel the man's heart. David loved God so much that he was vexed to hear that God's arm is being defied by this guy. God was so real to David. He might as well somebody would have insulted his mother. And so much so in this primary motive was God that it was enough for him to forget his fear. It was enough for him to make him risk everything. But you notice, David had just come from the field. He had just come from the field. He was praying. He was writing songs. He was praising. He was singing songs. He was in the very presence of God. And he comes in with a fresh vision from God, with a fresh power from God. He was not in the middle of the fear-feeding frenzy of Saul's army. He was not in the midst of this rumor-mongering of Saul's army. If he would have been there, I think he would have been infected by fear. But he comes refreshed by God. He was alone with God. 
How are you in that department? Do you spend time alone with God? John Knox, a great Reformed Anglican clergyman who later on was to found the Presbyterian Church in Scotland. And John Knox was despised by Queen Mary, King Henry VIII's daughter. One day, John Knox was on his way to court. And then he was warned by some of his friends, and, the, and they said to him, it might be better to postpone your visit. She is in a foul mood. <laughs> Knox kept going. He kept on walking, saying those words. He said, why should I be afraid of a queen when I have just spent three hours with God? David's testimony was that I, with bare hands, killed a lion and bear. And you know what the real heart of his testimony is? Most of us can look back and say, look what God did. Wonderful things he's done in the past. But the real testimony of David was... God did it once before. He's going to do it again. Do you look back and you see what God has done and say, I know. He did it before. He's going to do it again. But you know, his testimony didn't make a dent on Saul. It did not impact Saul at all. He was already haunted by the spirit of fear. He was not open to the spirit of God. And he insisted on David putting on his own armor, Saul's armor. He said, put those on. They'll protect you. They'll take care of you. Put the armors on. And David, in obedience, was trying to do that, and he puts the armor on. I can imagine him, you know, with... I have a wild imagination, you know that. And I can imagine him saying under his breath, and he doesn't want the king to hear him, you know. He said, you know, I'll put this on. It doesn't do me any good. It doesn't... This piece of junk, that doesn't do me any good. If it did him any good, he could have worn it himself. As if David... I want to say to Saul, he said, Saul, I have an armor that you cannot understand. It is called the Spirit of the Living God. He is the source of my strength. He is the one who led me before and he will lead me in the future. He is the one who took care of me in the past. He will take care of me in the future. You don't understand, Saul. I don't need your stinking armor. In verse 40, David picks up five stones. And he takes his sling and he takes his staff. And he gets so close to Goliath that he can see his eyeballs. Nobody ever has done that before. You know, some people asked, why five stones? Was David's faith faltering? You know, the one wouldn't work? No. I'll tell you where the answer is. The answer is in 2 Samuel 21, 22. Goliath had four boys were standing there on the hill. <laughs> and David knew it. And just in case... They try to come down and take their father's place. He had one each in his pocket for them. One apiece. <laughs> and when Goliath gets close to David, he doesn't see the sling. He sees the staff. And then he said, what are you coming out to me? You think I'm a dog? He coming out with a stick? And then he curses David by his gods. And listen to what David said. I'm ready to close now. He said, you... May have all the trappings of the armor, but I come upon you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And the next thing you hear David saying, yelling out, saying, Timber! (laughs) What kind of fear that is haunting you? What type of anxiety that is stalking you? What type of phobia that is menacing you in your life? Identify it today 
and take it up and offer it to the Lord. And say, Lord, I want faith in you that can overwhelm my fears. I want faith in you that will give me victory over my fears. That I will conquer my fears by who you are. I believe with all my heart that the Spirit of God speaking to each heart and saying, whatever fear you have, surrender it to me. Put your trust in me. Put your faith in me. I am the God who has done it before and will do it again. Surrender it to the Lord. Ask for his spirit of power, his spirit of courage, his spirit of self-control to empower you, to strengthen you, that you may overcome your fear. Heavenly Father, you know the secrets of our hearts. We don't even know our own hearts sometimes, as the scripture said, the heart is deceitful. But you know our own hearts. You know each one of us, and you know where we are and where we stand. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit visits every trembling heart. Even though they may not be showing it on the outside, you know the inside, Lord. Visit every heart, visit every soul, visit every person who's here right now. Holy Spirit of God, come with power and remove fear and replace it with faith. Remind us that we are the heirs of the everlasting King. In His name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.